Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm excited to be back on again. I am uh, working on some stuff for Sportsnet this week, but other than that, there's uh, it's just hockey season. I'm, I'm glad to be able to watch hockey for once. It's oh, been too long. It's great. Every night you just go. I mean, the schedule early on has been a bit weird. Like there's like the Rangers, for example, had two amazing, really fun games, and then they're just like off for a week randomly. And I know uh, like the Avs and I think the Wild and a couple other teams out there have a weird uh, four or five day stretch without games here. But um, yeah, for the most part, the hockey's been really entertaining. The coaches haven't taken away the fun yet and uh it's been a lot of high scoring fast-paced action and it's just good to every night kind of be able to sit back and turn on these games and enjoy them yeah i was actually talking to my dad the other day and he was asking me how things were in the season because he hasn't got a chance to watch much hockey yet and i was just explaining to him that outside of the first round of the playoffs this is kind of the month of hockey i like the most because it's not only is it new and you get to see the new players on new teams and rookies breaking in but like you said the coaching hasn't taken the fun out of it yet everything's a little bit disorganized there's more run and gun offense so i find usually november things crack down hard and the scoring goes away and then it kind of comes back a little little bit around the holidays and evens out as the year goes on but uh, october is one of my favorite months for hockey yeah it's like october it's the start of march after the trade deadline where you're just interested mm-hmm. to see where the new acquisitions fit on their teams and the playoff raises are heating up and then it's the first round of the playoffs i think those are like my three um sort of peak uh, peaks of the NHL season. But yeah, I know we're in it right now and it's really exciting. And so on today's show, you and I are going to, we're going to rank the wingers and the defensemen. So for those of you that haven't listened yet, for whatever reason, go back and listen to episode 313, where Andrew and I ranked the centers. On episode 312 before that, I ranked goalies with Kevin Woodley. And so yeah, this is going to be a jam pack one. We're going to try to bang through these. We're going to do top 15 defensemen, top 15 wingers, going to do some honorable mentions and uh, try to be in and out of here. But considering we went like an hour and 20 minutes, on just centers it's going to be uh it's going to be a challenge for us 
It might be a marathon, but we'll try to keep it short. All right. Well, let's start with defensemen because I feel like I'm much more prepared or I have a better feel for it. It was easier for me to sort of narrow it down and whittle it down to, to a top 15 and then a group of honorable mentions, whereas the wingers was such a mess and I felt so bad leaving a number of the names off of it that I kept like going on and on with my honorable mentions or trying to move stuff around. So for defensemen, I don't know if you feel the same way, but there's a lot of good players, but I did feel like I felt like very comfortable with my top 10 and then I felt pretty comfortable with the next five and then the next five after that. Yeah, it, it was. It's definitely defensemen seem to align themselves pretty decently in tiers. Uh, there's like not necessarily clearly separated, but there's enough separation to to kind of understand where you need to put people, and you can see where careers are trending. I feel like we pay a lot of attention to defensemen, mm-hmm. so there, there's always like more background information, I guess. Even though they might be a little bit harder to evaluate overall, maybe that's why we pay so much attention to them. But uh, yeah, wingers, I definitely had a lot more trouble. I felt like there was a lot of people that I was leaving off and guys that I was, you know, feeling bad about not being on the list and and uh, guys who I talk highly of often that didn't make it. So mm-hmm. that, that was a tough one. But defenseman, I found the bigger trouble for me was just around like 14, 15, 16 mark right. around there. I was like, who am I going to put on the list? Who's just off of it? That was where like the demarcation line was for me. Yeah, if we did, if we had uh, set it at a top 20, I feel like uh, our lives would have been a bit easier, but it's good. Mm. It makes it, it makes it more elite. It makes it more prestigious and it makes, uh, it makes it more important. And, and it's tricky about in defense and obviously, right? Cause there's so many, um, factors that go into it. I feel like our definitions of what makes a good defenseman still vary so much. I mean, you know, you, only so many guys can be like your peak Eric Carlson where he's just like good at everything and just dominates whenever he's on the ice. For a lot of these guys, they're, there are certain strengths that are games and as long as they're stronger than the weaknesses we can kind of overlook it but it it's a very subjective thing i feel like still in terms of what people prefer in our defensemen um or what that defenseman looks like or plays like and so that's what makes this discussion particularly interesting especially get when you get into the teens and in that range you're discussing because um it a guy being 12th versus a guy being 18th could be flipped very easily just based on what you might prefer personally. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some guys on the list that I have that I don't necessarily think are amazing, mm-hmm. but their their numbers were just so spectacular last year specifically that I, I couldn't in good conscience not put them on the list. Okay, well, who are a couple of the names that, you know, you said there that you struggled around that, you know, 15, 16 range in terms of figuring out who you wanted to just miss the cut versus who you wanted to kind of jam in there. Who are a couple of names that you really struggled with that ultimately fell a little bit short, but you really wanted to get in there? Yeah, so I had I had Chris Letang in the honorable mentions. Uh, I think he is like he has all the skill and talent to be in that top fifteen, but he's getting slightly older, and his injury history is just so extreme that I was like, if I was trying to say like who am I going to start a like a. A, a team with and I get to pick one defenseman and everybody's available and I'm picking like 15th all the other guys are taken would I take Chris Letang mm-hmm. even if I only have to win this year and I, I just couldn't justify it there's too much risk inherent there and you never know like I feel like every time he is healthy even like 80% he's phenomenal 
and that weighs in heavily but man that's so little of the time yeah i mean here is games played since 2011 12 which is pretty much uh you know the, the past 10 years almost it's 51 35 37 69 nice 71 41 <laughs> 79 65 and so i mean there's a lot of seasons there where he's good to miss like 15 plus games and some even over half the season and it's kind of ironic that that one year where he was actually healthy and he played 79 games in in 2017-18 was the year where all of his percentages went into the toilet along with the Penguins team and he was in trade rumors and because his plus minus was so bad and um, you know he really righted the ship last year he he wound up missing his sort of annual 17 games but he was so good while he was on the ice and he does so much for that Penguins team that I kind of overlooked those injury concerns a bit and I bumped him up to nine but I totally get your argument of if you were just building a team and you were basically ranking this as like okay which defense and would I take next if I was starting a, a group I would definitely be concerned with the age and with the injury concerns and I might prefer a guy who I have ranked lower on this list just because I know he'd be there all the time but in terms of ability and contributions I kind of had the benefit of overlooking it a little bit here just for the purposes of this exercise because I can. So I had him at nine, but I totally get where you're coming from in terms of all those concerns. Yeah, and I'll and I'll just throw out my other uh, honorable mentions here, and just a quick explainer on why I had um, Matthias Ekholm there. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Ekholm, like uh, visually and in certain data uh, applications, but overall his game, I I think. We're going to see this year a little bit that he won't necessarily be as great without P.K. Subban there in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Ekholm is more prone to mistakes in transitioning the puck than people actually believe. So that keeps him just outside there. Um, Shea Theodore, I think, is on the precipice of being a phenomenal number one defenseman. He's among the top puck movers in the entire league. He's like incredible in a lot of aspects of the game but he kind of hasn't quite fully broken out yet so i kept on the edge and then zach wierenski who i think is like a potential top 10 guy just had a brutal year last year uh things didn't go well for him uh the chemistry with jones didn't seem to be as strong last year so i want to see a return to form from him this season with a little bit more pressure on the columbus blue jackets without panarin and borowski to uh put him in the top 15 yeah no that's fair i i uh, i like all those names you mentioned i've got a number number of others but i'm gonna wait to uh to say them until we get into this top 15 because maybe uh you know you're gonna have a guy in here on your top 15 that i had an honorable mention and we can just get into them there so let's just start this list give me uh give me your 15th guy my 15th guy is a newcomer rasmus delin Ooh, yes i i I bit hard on this one just because if you look at last year uh with the sabers and what they've been able to do early this year like the team really changes when Darlene's on the ice. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. And, you know, he is maybe what everyone thought Rasmus Ristolainen was going to be. But, man, I think he's got, like, Norris Trophy potential in there. I, I, he is so good. He's so slick with the puck. He creates so much offense. And uh, just his ability to move the puck, uh, you know, keeps the puck out of his own zone. It's a great defensive asset. So I think he's already among, if not the league's elite, like that tier below. Yeah, I mean, what he accomplished at the age of 18, especially with what was around him. And early on this season, we've 
I mean, it makes sense that he would keep taking more steps and developing into that Norris caliber defenseman. But some of the stuff he does, like he like scores that like breakaway goal against the Penguins, and and just his uh, his willingness and his ability to do stuff that other defensemen simply can't is uh, is a sight to behold. And so I, I had him just missing the cut just purely because of the quality of the group of defensemen that we have in this league at this moment. But um, if you're just speaking in terms of upside or or guys that if we do this exercise again next year, hopefully. Uh, he has a very, very good chance of being well inside of the top 15. I mean, the sky is the limit for him. I just I just felt a little bit uneasy based on what we've seen so far, bumping him ahead of the guys who I felt have shown us a bit more at this point in the career. But uh, that's just purely because he's only been in the league the one season. Clearly, Dimitri is a coach biased towards the veterans. I mean, listen, let's get uh, let's get Marco Scandella and Henry Yokiharu out there, and uh, <laughs> and, and you know, see what happens. Uh, uh, you know what? To, to be fair, though, um, to Phil Housley and everything was going horribly wrong, and maybe or he probably should have done this sooner. But uh, as the last year went along, we did see Dalian really start to eat up more and more minutes and get trusted more by that coaching staff which is something we like never see 18 year old defensemen really get to do. And, um, he started wrestling away more and more minutes and even on the top power play from, from Ristolainen. And so, um, you know, that was the one kind of positive there that that actually was happening. Now he probably could have been playing even more. And maybe if they had just given him all that usage right out of the gate, um, his numbers would look better and I'd be more willing to embrace him being in this top 15. But yeah, he just missed the cut for me. Yeah, it's always fun to play the the hindsight is twenty twenty game, and you always wonder, you know, if this guy graduated earlier, would he have been even better playing like in a more challenging role in the NHL? And we, we never really know, but it, it's always fun. Who do you have at fifteen? I've got Jacob Slavin. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it, it's interesting because like his goals above replacement numbers, for example, on Evolving Wild don't look very favorable. And um, I believe the Canes are actually were outscored with him on the ice at 5-1-5. But uh, he's just he's so good defensively. And he's certainly not um, he's like an anomaly for me because I typically don't uh prioritize defensemen with his sort of traditional uh defensive defenseman skill sets but he really is kind of the modern day defensive defenseman sort of taking the keys from uh Nicholas Jalmerson or whoever you would have had coming before him in terms of his ability to just kind of cover up people's mistakes and even when you watch him if he makes one little mistake in terms of being overly aggressive and kind of pinching or going for a po check and missing out his recoverability and his sort of ability to cover ground and you know get back in the play and stop it from actually materializing into something is just bar none in this league and and the other thing that i really love about him and what i really do value from defensemen especially that play a lot of minutes against other teams best players is discipline and the ability to stay out of the box and actually be on the ice and for him i mean he's played 311 games uh 5600 minutes at 515 and he's taken 18 penalties in that time versus 23 drawn and that sort of ability to just um you know be aggressive with with his stick checks and defending but sort of know where that line is and never really uh get caught with his hand in the cookie jar is just so remarkable to me and that's ultimately why i had him as high on this list, despite the fact that, you know, his offensive numbers or his kind of traditional counting stats aren't up there with some of the other names we're going to discuss. Yeah, in a way, I feel like he's kind of like Ryan O'Reilly of defensemen, right? Mm-hmm. Where like O'Reilly, you know, obviously puts up more offense, but for his skill level, I think O'Reilly maybe puts up less offense than people would expect of a player of his caliber. Right. Uh, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I know, I know he's had great seasons, but 
you, you look at him and, you know, maybe if he wasn't as focused on defense, he might be a 85 point guy, you know, um, Slavin, as well as Pesci to a lesser extent on Carolina, are two of the most active defenders. Like, if you're coming into the Carolina zone, they are in your face. And like you said, Slavin doesn't take very many minors. Neither does Pesci. That's quite the impressive feat from the both of those guys. Like, that, those two are an interesting case to me because they, by traditional stats, are very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. But by all the, like... Uh, Microstats that I'm able to use with Sport Logic, both of them come out, you know, at least in the top 25 for defensemen. Yeah, and this he's sort of like a, yeah, he's kind of an embodiment of just what makes this Hurricane scene special in terms of, uh, you know, the way he plays and how um, individually or, or kind of just in terms of like if you look at identify one skill set, it might not necessarily be that great, but if you put it all together, it kind of exceeds that. So I just love, I love me some Jacob Slavin and I had him at 15. Um, let's keep going with your list. Who do you have next? All right. Next on my list is Alex Petrangelo, who I know many people will say is too low. Mm, I didn't but... have him on my list. Oh, so really? I, uh, not even honorable mention? I mean, he had him as an honorable mention. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you have him above or below Pareko? Well, I have Pareko at 13, so I had like okay. I'd, I'd say I'd probably have Petrangelo like 18th or something, maybe let's say maybe 17th, and then I had Pareko at 13. Yeah, I have Petrangelo a little bit above Pareko. Pareko mm-hmm. is like right below my honorable mentions in, in the rankings. Uh, what stands out to me about Petrangelo, which is I still cannot can to this day cannot figure out, is he is an extraordinarily good even strength defenseman, and he is absolutely bonkers bad on all special teams. <laughs> like he's a terrible penalty killer, terrible power play player. And he plays big minutes on both. Right. And I just don't get it. So like he, he's a guy who I think we would maybe even think more of if he was played a little bit more to his strengths, you know, second power play, second penalty kill, or maybe not even on the penalty kill at all. It, it's, he's a weird one, but he, he's able to dominate games. And as a transition player, he's extremely dominant. He is. He's uh, really skilled. I've kind of knocked him in the past because I felt like the public perception of him because of all like the Team Canada uh, sort of connections and sort of him always being in the discussion for the Norris because the Blues have always been good defensively and he's kind of been sort of the face of their franchise there for the past however many years. I felt like he's been a bit overrated. Now, listen, he was tremendous last postseason and I'll give him credit for his performance there and and he played way better than I even thought he could at this point in his career. But the reason why I docked him bit and why I had Pareko slightly higher on this list is because I couldn't overlook the fact that the reason that I felt that he exploded so much, especially offensively in the postseason, was because Pareko basically locked down the other team and said, I'll handle everything important. You can just kind of rove a bit more and, and unleash yourself offensively. And it worked out great. It was a perfect sort of marriage for, for the Blues and credit to Craig Berube for making that adjustment. But he was a guy that over the years was relied upon along with Jay Bomeister to play against other teams' best players. And sort of once they flipped that switch, it felt like they got more out of both of those guys. And I guess I just had Pareko slightly higher because I felt like he sort of was tasked with a tougher job and he did so remarkably well in it but listen Petrangelo is a hell of a player and he had an awesome postseason and he's right there yeah for sure who do you have 14 I mean I, I before we get off Preco because I had him at 13 so a okay. quick thing about Let's him go. here I mean after round one so they played Dallas Boston and San Jose uh, or I guess Dallas, San Jose, and then Boston in that order. He played 435 on five minutes in those 20 games against those teams. 
This Blues gave up eight goals against in that time. He drew more penalties than he took, and he was playing uh, like the majority of his minutes against Sagan's line, um, against the top six in San Jose, and then against uh, the Bergeron line in the Stanley Cup final. And he was just such a freak and sort of his ability to um, impact the game with his reach without necessarily even doing anything where you can like see forwards um, kind of fearing his ability and that reach when they're entering the zone and dumping it in sooner than they have to or or freaking out and panicking about it and just sort of that like trickle down effect that he has with his skating and his reach um, it, it's it's really unlike anything we have in this league and so that's why I, I value him so much and I feel like if he was on a different team and he was asked to do even more um, he would be fully capable so maybe it's it's a little bit of a sort of uh, projection on my part where I feel like he has even more to give than he has so far and that's saying something considering how important he was to a Stanley Cup uh, winner last year yeah yeah Pareko I feel like when he's on he's you know in that top 10 range he's so good but I I think it's more like the the consistency of him yeah. being able to give those performances is a question mark and I think that's maybe part of why he plays fewer minutes in in, uh, in St. Louis than you would expect a player of his caliber to play but yeah last year in the playoffs he was a monster like absolute beast down the stretch there so nothing to be taken away from him there um at 14, I have uh, I have Thomas Shabbat. I have Shabbat considerably higher. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I, I probably should have had him higher. Um, I don't know. I, I just couldn't bump him over some of the names I had ahead of him, and we'll get to those in a minute here. But he was remarkable, and he was one of the very, very few bright spots, clearly, on the center as last year. But he was, I believe, amongst all defenders, uh, seventh in goals above replacement, tenth in points, sixth at five on five production, and that's all despite missing those twelve games in the middle of the season. So he's a he's a hell of a player. Uh, make the case why he should be higher than fourteen on my list. Yeah, I had him all the way up at number nine, and the thing that stood out to me about Shabbat was like. Carlson, when he was on the Senators, stood out in every category, right? And everybody was saying, well, you know, it's easy for a guy like that to stand out when the other guys in your team are crap. And that can apply to Shabbat as well. But while Carlson was able to play with the Mark Stones of the world and, you know, Mike Hoffman, he got a lot of minutes with the top guys on the Senators. Uh, Shabbat, they couldn't really do that because they didn't really have anyone, especially in the, at the end of the year. Right. So even when you would expect... Uh, things to fall off for Shabbat. He continued to be dominant. So I, I look at, he wasn't able to be as dominant as Carlson was, but his numbers relative to his team are monstrous. And I, I just couldn't ignore that. He, he's such a difference maker for a team with so little to work with that I, I was just so impressed last year. Uh, you know, you could kind of see things coming, but I don't think I expected him to be as good as he is he's a very dangerous player and you know can play all situations if he's needed to i just think the sky's the limit for that guy yeah no it is um he what he did last year especially considering his circumstances was very very impressive and uh he's also one of those guys similar to what we were talking about with guys like uh, theodore and Wrensky and dalian where he should only get better and rise upon up on this list maybe as i was making this list i i do feel like i kind of uh prioritized or favored guys who have done it for a number of years um, just because I felt more comfortable in sort of their projection or their ability. Whereas some of these younger guys, maybe I was a bit I'm leaving the door open to a bit more sort of volatility or variability in their numbers, but you're right. That's, that's probably unfair to them just because uh, 
it's not their fault that they've only kind of been in the league for one or two years and, and Shabbat was amazing at what we've seen of them so far. Now I love this list so far because you and I, um, have differed so much. Like we were kind of in the similar ballparks, but you know, you not having Latang and me having him at nine, me having Shabbat here at 14 and you having him at nine. Like it's, it's nice that there's actually some healthy debate as opposed to the centers where I felt like we were mostly on the same page. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it makes sense that we're kind of evaluating it in two different ways. So we're getting these very similar, but dissimilar lists right. at the same time, right? The order is, uh, uh, very, all over the place. Uh, who did you have at uh, thirteen? So, so I had I had a uh, slave at fifteen. I had Shabbat at fourteen, and I had Pareko at thirteen. So, okay, um, right, right. let's catch up with your list because I think we've only done a couple so far. At thirteen, I had one. This one might be controversial, but I had Oliver Ekman Larson. Oh, he was on my honorable mentions. Oh, really? Really? Wow! I, I thought that you would have him even higher. He, he's a weird one, right? Because it's kind of like Shabbat in that. He plays on a team where for the longest time he's had no help. Right. And it's hard to really understand the value those guys have and how much of it is like standing out because there's no one around there or how much their numbers could be held back because there's nowhere, no one around. And I have kind of been bullish on Ekman Larson not being as good as a lot of media said for several years. And I think that kind of coincided with a lot of the, when people were really talking about him as like one of the top defenders in the game, he had a couple down years in a row. And then in 2017, 18, he was unbelievable. Good. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I didn't dig into the numbers as heavily in 2018, 19, but I would assume that he was still good. Maybe not as good, but, uh, I, I couldn't keep him out, out of the top 15 just because, you know, a year ago he was top three worthy. And it, it's tough to, to ignore that. He's had such a strange career, right? Because it feels like he's been around mm-hmm. forever now. And, and I guess he has in a way. Um, but maybe because it's because of some of the Coyotes teams he's played on and the lack of help that you mentioned. Um, it In a way, and maybe this, this is kind of unfair, but it's like a psychological element where like, I feel like he hasn't gotten to where I've wanted him to, but maybe that is purely um, just kind of a perception thing. And, and as you mentioned two years ago, um, he was great by the underlying numbers. So yeah, it's uh, he's an interesting one. I certainly considered him. Um, I had him right there with, with Petrangelo and a couple others on my honorable mention slash just missed the cut, but I didn't have my top 15, but uh, I guess we'll see this year. I mean, on paper, um, especially on the blue line, the Coyotes certainly have given him more help and when healthy, they have some interesting names on there. So I guess we'll see how, uh, how he plays moving forward and, and whether potentially being on a better sort of deeper team, um, affects him for the better. Yeah. And, and hopefully I, I, I always like to see great players in the best situation possible so that we can see how high they can rise. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Coyotes, a combination of, uh, poor scouting and maybe bad systems has led to some poor choices. Like they kind of acquired Alex Goligoski right before he fell off the face of the earth. And uh, maybe he'll rebound a little bit because he's not ancient, but mm. you know, same kind of thing with Nicholas Yalmerson, who has been a premier defensive defenseman for a really long time. And he still has a decent impact defensively, but he's cratered so bad in other areas that I don't even think he's a top four defenseman anymore. And they had him playing big minutes. So 
it's interesting interesting to see how things unfold there and Jacob Chikrin being healthy is a huge thing for them as well so well, all sorts of balls in the air and they're so committed to that group like all those guys you mentioned have at least a number of years left on their deal I believe and, and they're all uh yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing going on in in Arizona. We'll see how it plays out. Um, let's do. Give me your twelve and eleven now, so that we can get to that like neat little top ten range. Yeah, so twelve was the guy that I didn't really want to put on the list, but I couldn't deny because of the past couple of years he's had, and that's uh, John Carlson. Uh, he is the offense only guy that I think a lot of people peg Carlson as and like uh, Eric Carlson, the other Carlson. Uh, I think John Carlson is pretty poor without the puck Mm -hmm. uh, to put it mildly. And he historically has not been a very good transition player either. He's mostly a, a offense and power play guy. But the last couple of years, he's had phenomenal years. Now I don't know if that's due to usage or, uh, Line mates, you know, the the way he's been put out on the ice, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I feel like I would need to spend a thousand times more effort in researching him than I have available to me uh, to figure that out. And I, I just, there's something about his game that I just don't really like. Mm-hmm. Like if I was the GM and I could pick any defenseman, he would not be very high on my list at all. Right. But he's just been so dominant in the last couple of years that you can't not have him on the list. So I had him at eight because I just could not um, overlook or dismiss the statistical resume of his over mm-hmm. the past couple of years. And I'm right there with you. I think I thought in the past he was wildly overrated. I thought people were um, banking too much. He was my kind of my go-to example of a guy who looks super impressive in a jersey and he looks great skating around on the ice, but the numbers never really matched up with that perception. Now, it's interesting you mentioned that his numbers have improved so dramatically over the past two years, because I do think there's probably an element of not playing with Carl Alsner after that. Yes, um, definitely. Like, that was his predominant partner, and then the past two years, he's played with Michael Kepney, who I really like, Nicholas Jensen, who's sort of been like an analytics darling, and at the start of this year, he's actually played really well with, uh, with young defenseman Jonas Siegenthaler, so he, I think usage and sort of who he plays with is helpful there. I do have to give him credit because I thought the Capitals really should not have signed him after they won the cup. And I thought they should have just walked away and thanked him for his services. And then instead they give him that mega eight year, eight million per year deal. And he really took his game to another level last year. I mean, he was second in goals above replacement behind just Morgan Riley. Um, he is a very kind of, I mean, I think you could probably put a lot of players in his spot on the power play and they would succeed, but I do think he's a good fit there in terms of his ability to read the ice and move the puck, but also with that shot from the point. And so, um, yeah, he's he's grown on me over the past couple of years, and I just couldn't dismiss the the sort of overall package that he's put together over the past two years. Yeah. And I feel like the power play thing, like it's easy for us to, to like kind of dismiss it and say like, Oh, it's kind of like a plug and play thing. Anybody can kind of be the distributor on there. But I think with how quick and how organized that power play is, you really do have to have the instincts and, and the ability to make quick plays and to dish off to the right person at the right time to, to keep up with that amazing capitals power play. So he, he definitely earns his spot there. And, uh, you know, I don't want to spend the whole time when I'm talking about him ripping on him. He is a really good player. It's just, it's, 
interesting how much a defense partner can impact your career because uh, for the three years before Carl Alsner left Washington, I, uh, I had Carlson ranked in like the 50, mm. 50 to 55 range for defensemen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he was shooting up into the top 25, top 20. So that's that's a big deal. Well, especially <laughs> with how many years he's been in the league, you typically don't expect players to uh, to improve that much at this point of their career. But no, you're yeah. right. In terms of the power play thing, like, I mean, he has that big shot, and I think that's why opposing penalty kills um, do view it as a weapon. And so I give him a lot of points for having the hockey sense or the wherewithal to not just like Justin Falk style, just hammer hammer point shots all the time. Like he's so good at sucking in a defender and then quickly getting it over to Ovechkin and for that one timer. And so when people are always like, oh my God, how is Ovechkin this open? And, and I myself sometimes like pause and take a screen grab and you're just like, he has so much space. What is this, what is this team doing? And it's like, well, they are also scared of all the other weapons on the ice and, and they're just so good at moving the puck quickly and not giving defenses time to really think. So if you see a guy like Carlson wide open from the point and you know what he's capable of, it's like human instinct to kind of drift towards him. And then if you do that, he'll make you pay with that pass over to Ovechkin. So credit to him for uh, kind of having that multidimensional skill set. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about having a bad partner and maybe holding back your numbers, that's where I went next on my list. And that was Morgan Riley, who still has a bad partner (laughs) and has really taken it to the next level offensively. But Morgan Riley's defensive numbers are still absolutely abysmal. And they have been for the majority of his career. I, I don't know how much of it is Morgan Riley being a bad defenseman because there's only so much you can really measure uh, with data at the current stage, uh, at least that I have access to. Uh, you can measure like how involved someone is, uh, how well they stop uh, attempted zone entries, things like that, how often they get caught pinching, how often they face you know odd man rushes themselves from a partner being caught pinching. So you can kind of adjust for context. You can even look at I can look at gap control, but only in like how far away they are from the from the puck carrier. And by all those numbers, Riley is like average, but his defensive numbers in terms of like what happens when he's on the ice have continued to be really terrible. Uh, whether that's because he's always playing with a Ron Hainsey or a Cody Cece, I'm not sure. Mm. But until I see some evidence that Riley can rise above that. And that might never happen with the way Babcock's coaching. I can't put him higher than number 11. See, I've got him seven. I thought he should have been a Norris finalist last year. And I completely understand and am aware of all of your um, concerns in terms of those numbers. I'm just, I'm chalking a lot of that up to, like, if you look at his list of partners over his career, it's stunning. It's like you should line it up next to uh, Evgeny Malkin's list of wingers over his career because it's like the rotating door of guys who just pretty much right after that just drop out of the league or were already so washed up or were never good to begin with is stunning. And it's a bit disappointing because I thought last year after they acquired Jake Muzzin, I was like, oh, finally, he's going to get a really good partner. And this is awesome. And uh, now we're back to him not having a partner again. And the fact that that's the case we just talked about uh the effect that has on a guy like carlson and how once he started playing with someone better or even just like competent he exploded and and i just think that is the case here when you when i watch riley i don't really witness a guy who is a disaster defensively who has no idea what he's doing or where he's going i think it is sort of a a contextual or circumstance-based thing and the offensive ability and his production 
albeit in a great situation on the other end of the days because of all the players he's playing with, um, was so overwhelmingly good last year that I bumped him up all the way to seven. And I actually didn't even really like... I mean, I questioned all, all of my guys on this list because it's so tough and, and I'm all, you're always kind of trying to tinker with it. But I felt pretty good about that that window for him. And I guess if you have him at 11, like it's that's sort of the similar range. But uh, maybe I'm just a little bit higher on him and sort of overlooking some of those uh, statistical flaws of his. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of like... We're mincing over a couple spots, right? It's, it's they're still in that same kind of tier-ish area. It's more like, uh, I guess it's just, it's a number. That's all. so. Like, so yeah. we're in your top ten now, right? Yeah, we're in my top ten. So I'm really excited because. Uh, you know, we were joking last time when we did the centers that Anze Kopitar, uh, you talked me out of it and I had him way too high. And I believe I had him at 12. I'm on my centers list. Um, I've got Drew Dowdy on my 12 here. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm not feeling great about it. I got to be honest. He was very bad last year. Um, he had a negative goals of rubble placement. The Kings with him on the ice had a 46% shot and expected goal share. Um, now, here's what I will say. I find it hard to believe that he just completely lost it and is mm-hmm. not good anymore. Um, I never thought he was as good as people made him out to be during those Dowdy versus Carlson for the Norris years. Um, at the same time, I thought the hate went too far because people would just point to some of his, uh, you know, counting stats or whatever and, and be like, oh, like, how can you think this guy's better than Carlson? I, I thought as a puck mover and his ability to dominate territorially while he was on the ice um, made him a very, very, very good defenseman. And, and last year, the, I'm just going to give you the list of defensemen he uh, he played with at 5 on 5. Derek Forbort. Uh, Dion Phaneuf, Oscar Fandenberg, Jake Mazin for a bit before he got traded. Uh, Fandenberg got traded too, by the way. Alec Martinez, who probably will get traded at some point this year. Sean Walker, Curtis McDermott, Daniel Brickley, Matt Roy, Matt Waugh. Um, I don't know how you pronounce that. And Paul Ledoux. Half um, those are fake to me, Tree. Yeah, don't I made make, up. I don't made, make names up. I made up three of those. So it's uh, it's your job as a listener to uh, to figure out who those guys are. But it's uh, it's quite the group. And I just think... I was kind of valuing uh, what he had done in the past and the fact that like, if he was 33 or something um, and just looked like he was completely physically shot, I'd be like, okay, well, you know, it's time to start taking what he did last year seriously. But I just feel like his numbers might be as bad this year because I think the Kings are going to be just as bad. But um, from like a physical skill set and ability, I guess I'm just valuing his historical track record over the sort of statistical resume that he had last year. Yeah, I I will admit that around the same time when we were talking about like the Carlson versus Dowdy wars of you know traditional media versus us upcoming hot shots Mm -hmm. uh i was a very very much a dowdy hater uh i I wouldn't say that i rated him as like a bad defenseman or anything like that but i had him in the like five six best range uh, of players and i feel like that was justified based on uh the data that i had in those years and then going back on it uh last uh, not last season but the season before that and 2016 17 Doughty was the first and second best defenseman in the league, according to uh, the data that I had. Uh, all of the data put together, we're talking like hundreds and hundreds of statistics, 
waited out in order to extract the most value. And it was like him and Carlson were pretty much neck and neck. Carlson was significantly head in offense, obviously, but they were head to head in uh, transitional impact. Dowdy's slightly a better transition defenseman than Carlson overall, just because Dowdy just doesn't make mistakes. Uh, Carlson, I think, is more active, mm-hmm. but Dowdy just he has the highest pass success rate of any defenseman in the league relative to his team uh, the lowest turnover rate of any defenseman in the league relative to his team and that's not like a one-year thing that's like every single year for the past five years it's nuts how good he is with the puck and and moving the puck so that really makes him stick out to me as uh, one of the top defensemen in the game except with a lot of value on moving the puck up the ice mm-hmm. uh, offensively i don't think he's that good no I think he's okay, a good power play player, but at even strength, I don't think he's a defenseman that you can really rely on to necessarily create offense, like a, a Carlson or a Klingberg or or a Brett Burns. Um, but I still have him at number two. Oh, that's how, yeah, that's how high I have Dowdy, and I could be proven completely wrong there if he has another year like last year. But I think last year has, like you said, a lot more to do with his partners and a lot more to do with how bad the Kings were uh, than Dowdy personally. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I was digging into, he still came out as pretty much the same player. So I, yeah, I was pretty comfortable with keeping him that high up. We'll see if I'm out to lunch there or not but i i have really gained a lot of respect for drew dowdy the more that i've been able to get access to statistics that look at how successful players are at moving the puck and not creating risk for their teammates i was not expecting that swerve so, I know. You know when, I, when I said I had Dowdy at 12 and you kind of made this noise, I was like, that's why I was like pushing so hard in terms of like my caveats for why I had him that, <laughs> that high because I thought you didn't even consider him. Um, so yeah, I did oh. not see that coming. Wow. I mean, listen, uh, it's, it's tricky because at the point of doing this list, our most recent, uh, kind of thing we're working with or, or, or what we have to consider was clearly not up to his standards. And so it's, yes. it's, it's tough to, um, try to figure out how much of that was on him, how much of that was in the situation and how much of that is going to continue moving forward. And so it's tricky because he could, let's say he was playing bad and he was partially to blame for all of those struggles and all of those, uh, kind of underwhelming numbers last year, even if he plays better this year, uh, the Kings might be so bad around him that it might not matter and his numbers might still look bad. And so that's going to be sort of something to factor in because, um, it'll be tough to know for sure. But at the same time, if we are evaluating this list from like, all right, if you were putting together a team, who would you pick? And, you know, theoretically you would put him in a better situation with better players. If you were starting a team from scratch, uh, then clearly if you believe that it was on the team and not on him, he would perform a lot better. So weighing all those things was really tough. I like when I was doing this list, there were just guys that I in the top 10 that I felt more comfortable with because they were coming off of better years. Um, but I really struggled with it because on the one hand I could see the argument for bumping him even further. And the other hand, I could see having him higher. I, I never really considered him having him second, but I certainly considered him once I got into that like sixth range. Yeah. And it, it, it was a tough one for me because I knew like I know when people listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, what is this guy on? But if you have any faith in uh, my evaluation skills at all, mm-hmm. trust me that there's 
more to Dowdy than met the eye last year, and I think that he's going to be fine for a long time still. I don't think he's in the midst of a, of a steep decline, at least not as much as uh, people believe. So do you want to hear who my 11th guy was? Yeah, absolutely. P.K. Subban. Oh, yeah. See, I had him in the same range. I have Subban at 8, mm-hmm. but you know he's dropping down from 2-3 on my list all the way down there because his season wasn't very good. No. Uh, there were a lot of problems that he had last year. And I think we've brought it up on every podcast that we've done for the last few years here as a hindrance for Subban is he dumps the puck out too much. Yeah, he he just he over relies on flipping the puck up, and he's too skilled to keep on doing that. He's got to start making plays. He's got to start skating. Now I'm hopeful in terms of. Uh, the way he trained this summer, it seems like he was more focused on speed instead of strength. And I know that as a smaller defenseman, he kind of felt like he needed to be a big guy in order to defend along the boards. And maybe he leaned into that a little bit too hard and it hurt his, uh, his speed over the years. So he, he's got like the agility, but he kind of lost his top end speed over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'm wondering if maybe he worked all summer because I, I got a chance to talk to him at, uh, a charity event this year and he he said that he was more focused on bringing the speed back into his game so i wonder if he was capable of doing that it's tough to do once you hit that uh that 30 mark right and yep. he's at the age where the decline sets in so i i have a lot of belief in him the player but i wouldn't be surprised if he starts to fall off a bit look at you insider brookshire breaking some breaking some news about pk suban's offseason resume the one thing, oh yeah, because I've got insider knowledge there when he's posting an Instagram video every day. You know, like everyone can see what he's doing anyway. Just yeah. listen to Andrew Walker. Yes, I, I had Subban at eleven and I had Dowdy at twelve, and and they were the two guys where like I, I it would have seemed crazy to have them that low a couple of years ago, but there was enough question marks and they were coming off of poor enough seasons that. I had to bump them down a little bit. I mean, I think it's crazy to say about a guy like Subban considering how established he is and how much he's already accomplished in his career. But I do feel like he has a lot to prove this year in terms of, um, you know, this summer that just like, wasn't a good look from the perspective of the predators basically making him available and, and no one really jumping at the opportunity to, to do so. And there was a lot of concerns about his health and, I think justifiably he's missed 15 games or more in three of the past four years. And whenever you start talking about like back stuff, for example, that could, especially at his age, that could definitely be something that deteriorates pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. um, at the same time, he was an Norris finalist two years ago and he's still a heck of a player. And I thought it was a smart calculated gamble for Nat, for uh, for the Devils to try and get a player of his skill set. Now it's funny. We, we have talked about this over the past couple of years, but um he he's never really thought of it that way because uh of his point totals and sort of the the flair he plays with and stuff but in a way he is such a like traditional defensive defenseman in uh sort of how he plays and sometimes how he approaches handling the puck and so that's what's funny and like during all the years where people uh would point out his mistakes or his turnovers or question his defensive ability like i always thought that was so overblown. i always thought like the best part of his game was the defensive ability yeah and for a long time it was and i feel like that's probably still true i think that's where he rates the highest overall is uh, his defensive uh impact but 
I think the transition impact is where he's struggled the most the last couple of years, despite uh, being similar to Dowdy in terms of like being a very safe player with the puck, not quite as safe, but uh, his, his biggest problem, like we talked about is the, the dump outs in, in transition that really limits his effectiveness there. But yeah, I, I think he's an interesting guy because Clearly, he has the offensive skills, but I do wonder if maybe one of the reasons why he stagnated last year is because he wasn't relied upon. And this is, you know, playing amateur psychologist, but having watched PK so closely for so many years, I know that he thrives on being the guy. And it's not to say that uh, he didn't earn more time and more uh, ice time in Nashville, because I think while he was there, he was their best defenseman uh, overall over the three years. But it's still harder to take minutes from Roman Yossi than it is to take minutes from like, I don't know who else, like Butcher mm-hmm. on, on New Jersey, which who, who's good, but you know, is a young kid. Whereas he's coming in there and the other players in the top four in Nashville are three established veterans who were drafted and developed by that organization. So he's automatically lowest in the totem pole. And even if he is slightly better than, the others, he'll probably only get at best the same amount of minutes. It's just the way it works, especially in the regular season. In the playoffs, obviously, he got uh, more usage, especially on their big cup run there. But it's it's a situation where I, I do wonder if he stagnated a little bit there and he needs the attention. Yeah. Because he's PK Subban. <laughs> yeah. I mean,. I think there's certainly an amount to that now in game one uh, against the Jets. It did go to overtime, but he played 26-21. So, um, yeah, I imagine the uh, the Devils will be using him as much as they possibly can, and hopefully his back and, and health can hold up, and uh, he can return to the form that made him easily a no-doubt-about-it top-five defenseman for so many years. Okay, we're in the we're in the top ten here. Um, give, me, give me the next couple. Give me, like, 10-9-8 or whatever for yourself. Okay, so ten nine eight. I've got uh, Roman Yossi, yep. uh, Thomas Shabbat, and Subban, who we already talked okay. about. I actually have Roman so Yossi at ten, so that's perfect. Oh, okay. The one, the one area our lists align. Yes. Yeah. So Roman Yossi, obviously one of the most talented offensive defensemen in the league, one of the best transition players in the league. Period. Uh, in terms of activity and uh, completions, but uh, defensively. Not very good. <laughs> That's what holds him to number yeah. 10. If he was even uh, average top four quality on defense, I think he'd be like a top five player in the league. It's so funny because, uh, like I was saying, when I watch Morgan Riley, I don't see, like with my sort of untrained, like I'm not a coach by any means, I, I don't see any sort of uh, visible flaws that make him bad defensively. I do see that with Roman Yossi. Uh, oh, yeah. His... Yeah defending of the blue line for a guy who skates as well as he does is stunningly bad and it's weird because i i guess maybe there's an element of like he's so confident in his skating ability that he feels like he can sort of cover ground and make it up or whatever i i'm not sure there's like maybe some false bravado there but i'd love to see him more aggressive in his defending maybe there's an element of like he just doesn't care about it because he loves getting the puck and then just skating it up the ice as fast as he can and i don't blame him it it looks very cool and he's very good at it and uh that'll get him paid quite handsomely coming up here soon and makes the highlight reels and uh wins over people's affection on twitter so i get it like i i I see why he would want to play that way but there is certainly a lot that leads to desired um in his game now we both have him as the 10th best defenseman in the league so clearly what he's good at uh 
heavily outweighs what he's bad at. But there are some reasons to uh, to bump him down here, especially considering the handful of guys we have ahead of him. Um, don't really have those concerns. Maybe they don't have the same sort of offensive slash transitional upside that he does, but they're just so much better in all the other areas that it kind of balances itself out. Yeah, for sure. And I think with Yossi, like you said, it, it he leans into what he's good at, and that makes sense. I think aside from, I think he has some poor reads in terms of like wh- where he should be and um, what the best thing to do is necessarily when he should step up, when he shouldn't. I think it's that it's not even that he doesn't know what to do. It's just that he's always thinking about moving the puck the other way. And sometimes he thinks about that before he actually gets the puck. So he's always in a position to break out despite the fact that he's still defending. And that leads to some hilarious situations. And obviously it's working out fine for him. He just might be even better if he was a little bit uh, more aggressive on the defensive side and, and less worried about the next step, you know, take it uh, step by step Roman. Mm-hmm. You're, although, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't be because he's already so friggin' handsome. If he gets any better, it's just going to be unfair. Yeah. We need him to have at least one flaw. Um, yeah. Yeah. So keep keep being bad defensively, Roman. I thought he was a. Uh, he, I mean, he was my personal pick for the Norris this year. I thought he's really set up nicely from the perspective of Subban's gone. He's paired on that top pair with Ellis. He's the only defenseman on their top power play unit. It feels like it is kind of his team or his group now. And and um, you know he's looking to get paid here soon. Uh, there's the narrative of like he's so fun to watch, and no one's really going to care about these liabilities we're mentioning if he's going to put up crazy point totals. And so, and he's also never, never won it or never really, um, I don't know what his highest finish is, but I believe he's never even been a finalist. So it feels like you put all those things together and this could be a huge year for him, um, both in terms of production and also in terms of perception. It might be, but I think what you're missing is that uh, Petrangelo is due. He is. He's also, he's also, I mean, he, Petrangelo was my pick last year for that reason. It felt like he was really, really doing, and then him and the Blues got off to such a bad start. But, uh, maybe yeah, it ruined you, everything. Maybe if you lump in the playoffs and we just did it at the end of the year, uh, maybe that Petrangelo pick still would have, would have held true. Uh, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to finish up with our top 10 on the other things. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek. SeatGeek's great because they're showing us that getting tickets to sporting events doesn't need to be complicated time-consuming or overly expensive. They've kind of gotten all of the grunt work out of the way, having to open a million different tabs on your browser, trying to find the best deal or opening up one site and seeing that they don't have tickets for the event you're looking for and then going to another and then finding they're overly expensive and then you open another and you're you're going to pay for them, but then you're unsure if you're going to show up to the event and not even be able to get in and wind up um, having bought and fake tickets. So they're really kind of take all those concerns out of the way by just doing it all for you. They're going to scour the web. They're going to search for all the tickets that are available for the given event, and then they're going to pull them all into one place. They're going to grade them on a scale of one to 10, and then they're going to display them on an interactive seat map, which is really easy to use. It basically breaks down the deals for you and grades them based on value, indicating that green dots mean good deals and the red dots are overpriced. 
And every purchase with them is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the Seeky app on my phone, and I've found that it's the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Whether it's for a hockey game, for baseball, for basketball, for a concert, for a stand-up comedy show, they've got it all. And now that we're in October, and it's the best month of the year, in my opinion, for, for sporting events, there's so much for you to choose from. So if you've kind of been hesitant to give it a shot, um, I highly recommend checking it out seeing what's playing in your town and uh, getting out there for a fun night and the best part of all is that SeatGeek is actually going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them just for listening to today's episode of the Hockey Pedio Cast. All you need to do is let them know that we sent you and use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so we've done your we've done your ten nine eight. Um, we've also done all the guys. We've done all of mine up to the top six. Who do you have? Oh, at, wow. Who do you have at seven? At seven, I had Seth Jones. Ooh, I have him. See, I have him up at third. Oh wow, that high! I love Seth Jones. Yeah, Seth I Jones. Mean, you have he's at like, seven, so you also love yeah, Seth Jones. Also love Seth Jones. Yeah, I think he's got like to have him at three. Obviously, you agree he's got like franchise level potential. Yep. Uh, his career arc has been so rapid last couple of years where it's just like I had him in like the thirties, forties for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden he's like up into the top 10. He's, he's just incredible. Uh, sky's the limit kind of guy. Uh, the only reason I didn't have him higher is just cause I thought last season didn't improve necessarily on the season before. I thought he was just, he was good. I thought he got he worse was, a bit last year. Yeah. That like, it wasn't, it wasn't the improvement you expected, but then again, like, you know, both him and Wierenski were not as good. So it's like how much is really on either of them? Who knows what was going on there? There's always more to dig into, but I'd like to see a little bit more from Jones this year. And then he could probably be like in the top five. Yeah, I guess it's a bit hypocritical for me because like I, I did bump down guys like Dowdy and Subban so much after one bad year. But, um, you know, with Jones just having turned 25 years old and what he'd already shown in his career, like I, I feel very confident that he's going to be significantly better in the next couple of years. And I already thought like I I had him uh, as a Norris finalist two years ago on my fake ballot and I thought he was tremendous. And last year he did take a bit of a step back, but he like if you were creating a defenseman in the lab, like he might be it in terms of his ability ability to basically do everything really really well like i don't know like is there like visually i can't see any um real flaws in his game is there anything um from like a deeper um analytical perspective that he struggles at like i, I guess he's not like as prolific of like a transitional puck movers like, as a guy like roman yossi for example but like he seems so remarkably solid when he does it still well, I think, you know, earlier in his career, the, the big thing that was missing from his game was like a, a bit of offensive uh, ability. And then he just kind of really polished up his playmaking last year or not last year, uh, the year before. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really think there's many things to pick apart with this game. I, I think he's, you know, almost the prototype for what a modern defenseman is going to be. You know, uh, not only is he crazy skilled, smooth transition guy, offensively talented, but not a guy who like continually does a machine gun shot from the blue line that eats up a bunch of shots and zone time and doesn't score. He's it's all about playmaking and supporting his teammates. And then on top of that as well, he's a giant. So he's got the reach to, to disrupt guys. He's got the physicality that if he needs to engage and knock somebody around, he can. Uh, he's just excellent. 
yeah. all around. Yeah, he's a pretty flawless player. So, yeah, maybe uh, me having my three was a bit more of a projection than what he did last year. But uh, I feel like he's going to have a monster season this year. Um, at six, I had John Klingberg. Yeah, I had Klingberg higher. I had him at four. Okay. And at six, I have another controversial one that I'm sure people are going to be upset about. I had uh, Victor Hedman. Oh, I had him at two. Yeah, see, yeah, Hedman, I, I'm going to be hard on this guy because people really were upset with me last year when I had his Norris season ranked really as like the worst Norris season in recent memory. Like uh, People get upset about the Drew Doughty win over Carlson, but at least that year I think Doughty was at least the second or third best defenseman in the league, whereas the year that uh, Hedman won, he was like in the 30s. Uh, his impact was not very good at even strength at all. Uh, he was mainly just a power play guy. Now, he is probably the single biggest power play impact defenseman in the league, mm-hmm. but how much value do you put in that for a defenseman? Well, especially on that team. Exactly, right? Like, if you were to remove Hedman and put in Placeholder or Sergachev, I'm pretty sure that power play would still function with Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and yeah. every other awesome player that they somehow acquire. It might not be as good, right? but it'll still be good. Uh, I just, I think Hedman gets a lot of credit for being huge and from time to time he'll just dummy someone and he can also move the puck but he just hasn't had the impact at even strength the last couple of years that people have want like said that he's had mm-hmm. his uh, offensive impact has actually gone down for uh, two for three years straight uh his transition amp- impact is about the same and his defensive impact he's actually been worse like consistently getting worse so I'm just not really seeing it with him as being, you know, uh, a top two defenseman in the league. I think he definitely has that level of talent, but it hasn't quite been there. I don't know if it's been like injuries. I know last year he had that injury to end the year. Maybe it was something lingering that's uh, keeping him from being full speed. I think he had a foot injury the year before that was slowing him down as well. But uh, I think Hedman has like he has that ability, but he hasn't been for me. Well, and he's also uh, an enormous human being, and I imagine yes. uh, like physically that's going to take its toll, and, and he might suffer more of those uh, injuries as he gets older here than you typically would expect. Uh, I think the Lightning have very smartly, considering their their Stanley Cup aspirations, um, last year they really dialed him down with him. Uh, the year before when he won the Norris, I think he he played twenty five fifty one. Last year he played twenty two forty six. At five on five, he went from eighteen thirty a night to sixteen oh six, and they really, uh, you know, part of it was McDonough looking a lot better and being able to handle more of those minutes, and you know, him and Eric Chernak kind of became their uh, go to defensive pairing. But there's certainly some concerns and red flags there. I just, I just felt like from uh, a total package perspective, uh, if I was picking defensemen, I would there's very, very few guys that I would have to go through before I got to Hedman. Cause I do feel like he's still, he still has it and he's still capable of, of having a bigger impact than he's done. But you're right. Um, I think part of, you know, being on that team, on that power play, putting up the point totals he does and just how good the lightning have been. And the fact that he's their best defenseman, uh, it makes it kind of a perfect storm, no pun intended for, um, for him being a bit overvalued. And so now that you talk about it, like I, I, I could totally see the case for bumping him down a few spots. I just felt like uh, I feel very safe with, with knowing what he is and how good he can be. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
you know, in any given year, Hedman can be the best defenseman in the league. Yeah. You know, especially if Carlson's injured. Okay. Well, let's go. Let, let's do. Uh, okay. Let's do Klingberg because you had him at four and I had him at six. Yeah. So I had, I had Klingberg at four. Yeah. I I just I'm so impressed with how he's grown as a player. Like he's taken. Uh, I think he was in around like the 30th best defenseman in transition impact for his first couple of years in the league. And then in 2017, 18, he just rocketed up to like third. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has really taken it upon himself to be a bigger part of moving the puck uh, the right way. He's been uh, really cut down his turnovers like crazy. He's gotten a lot better defensively over the years. He's still not amazing defensively. He's good. Uh, definitely better than he gets credit for. I think maybe some of the problem in terms of like the on ice numbers, if they get bad. It comes from more Esselindel than him, but uh, and offensively, man, what a what a dude that guy is. Uh, does anybody have a better like sneaky wrister from the point that just rises up out of nowhere? He's so fun to watch. I mean, last postseason, just like his skating ability and how he can sometimes mm-hmm. like. Uh, is, I think there's no one better at. Uh, maybe he's better um, from like a north-south perspective in terms of getting the puck up the ice. But man, watching Klingberg like uh, maneuver his way around the forecheck and sort of make defenders look silly as he like puts a move on them and then has them on his back hip and just moves up the ice. He's so good at that. And I love also like... I think there's some concerns about how the Stars have started this year and sort of how slow they play considering the players they have and the personnel they have. And Jim Montgomery is clearly a defensive coach who... Um, I think by design wants to play that way, but I love that he gets him and Miro Heiskanen out to there together at five on five for offensive zone draws and really kind of stacks their lineup in those situations and just his usage and, and his ability. You're right. He's, I, there was a bit of a concern there a couple of years ago when he got off to a really, really bad start that one year, but since then he's been just so good. And, uh, he, if I, it's a really short list of like guys that I love watching more than him. Yeah, uh, and like you said, like you just named out the only guy that might be on that list, like off the top of your head, might be Mirohaiskin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's gonna be a. He, we haven't mentioned him yet, but uh, when we do this list, maybe not next year, but at some point in the future, um, he'll he be on. Will, there. He will be on this list for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, who do you have at five? At five, I had Brent Burns. Mm, who I'm a four. Yeah, a lot of people have him significantly higher, like up there with with Carlson. But I, I think the thing for me with Burns is definitely more in a personal preference thing than uh, a numbers thing. Uh, he is stronger without the puck than a lot of people give him credit for. He's actually a pretty good like one-on-one defender. Uh, he's pretty aggressive. He can take the puck off people really well because he's a big brute. And uh, he has the skating to, to get into battles. But... It's just with the puck outside of the offensive zone, he is so sloppy. Yeah. He's just like one of the sloppiest guys among like the star level players in the league. Mm -hmm. He has so many turnovers, so many bad ones too, that uh, it's really hard for me to put him any higher than that. And the reason why he is is because he just keeps on blowing past my expectations of what's going to happen with him. And just like, and you know, he'll have like 20 points halfway through the season. Like, oh, okay, Burns is finally falling off. This like era of Brent Burns being the top offensive defenseman is gone. And then he's like, oh, I'll just put up 60 in the last 40. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> no, you're, you're he just right. He goes on these tears. He's similar to Subban. There's sometimes where he just like, 
maybe it's not even dumping it out as much as like he tries these like passes that have a 1% chance of succeeding, maybe even less than that. They're just like these wild Hail Marys that he throws up the ice. And I, I guess that's like, you, you kind of have to take that the, the bad with the good, but there, there are certainly um, scenarios where I, I just wish like he would make a, a higher percentage play. And, you know, I do think it's fair to wonder about in terms of that offensive production, like it's at some point you have to give him credit and you'd be like, okay, well, if the guy's just like leading the league in scoring and he has like 75 points or more as a defenseman, like you, you can't knock it too much, but just from like the volume perspective and sort of efficiency and wondering, um, not whether the, whether the sharks would be better off, but in terms of what it would look like if he was shooting less from the point, like he's so good at getting that mm-hmm. puck through and, and especially with Pavelski there over the years and sort of that rapport of the hand-eye coordination and then all the tipping and all the rebounding and stuff. Um, now that he's gone as well, like I, I just wonder what that's going to look like and whether um, the Sharks would be better off actually uh, sort of directing their offense through different um, avenues or maybe looking for higher efficiency looks, especially with guys like Couture, Hurdle, and Meyer on their team up front who are all uh, very good finishers. Like, I just, I just, I wonder whether, whether they should be doing that. But I mean, Burns has been so successful and he's been doing it for so long and has been such a big part of their plan of attack that I can't see that changing. Yeah, and like you said, the lower percentage shots, it's hard to like justify that the way the, the league is shifting. Like, I don't know if you saw the article that I posted on Sportsnet last week, but the the drop in perimeter shots over the last uh, four seasons is incredible. Like, teams went from shooting from the slot, like, uh, I'll have to pull it up here to figure out the exact numbers because I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it's been drastic. It's, I think, almost a... 10% shift from the perimeter to the slot and inner slot. So it, it's one of those things where uh, things are changing. Brent Burns refuses to change and yet continues to be amazing anyway. Right. And it's like, you know, at his age as well, you wonder when his shoulders going to give out from blasting 300 shots on net every year. You know, and he puts so much on it. And, you know, he's not Ovi, you know, uh, he's a big dude, but he's not that like right six foot wide shoulders guy. Yep. Uh, and like you said, without Pavelski, there's less value, I think, in those point shots as well, because you don't have the guy who's mastered that net front presence thing. Well, the interesting thing for me is like, um, I'm, yeah, I, I just, I'm very curious to see what the Sharks do look like because they obviously got on such a bad start. Um, you know, part of that is, is Kane not being in the lineup and, and Carlson missing the first game and the fact that they played two games against arguably the best team in the league and then they played another one in a second of a back-to-back against John Gibson. But I do, with Burns, it's funny because I think we both agree like he's not nearly as bad defensively as people think and I also think he's not as good offensively as people think and it kind of balances itself out and that's why I have him at four and you have him at five or whatever or six so we're like we still think he's very very good and one of the best most impactful players in the league but he gets there in in maybe a different way than uh you know popular conventional belief would have you think. Yeah, for sure. And and I do wonder if there's some adjustment there because it's not like Burns is a bad playmaker either. I know some of it's coming from rebounds, but he did have like almost 70 assists last year. It's, yeah. it's mental. But uh, yeah, I think his uh, 
pushing 30 goals days are probably over just the way the league's changing. And despite save percentage actually dropping, I think goalies are continuing to get better. Mm-hmm. So the shots that he's taking are, are going to be less likely to go in. And, you know, he, he went three years averaging almost 8% shooting. And then la- the last two, he was more around the 4% range. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things kind of get less efficient with time, both due to age and the way the game's changed. But he he is really good. You know, he does a lot of good things. I mean, we are nitpicking a guy who I've got at five and you've got at <laughs> four. four, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's great. Um, okay, so who do we have on this list in this top five that we haven't uh, done for you yet? All I've got left is uh, Giordano at three and Carlson at one. So I've got Giordano at five and Carlson at one. So um, yeah, we're we're very similar. Okay, let's do Giordano quickly and then we'll uh, we'll get into Carlson. So the only reason why I bumped, I think I thought Giordano was clearly um, better than being the fifth best defenseman last year. I thought his Norris Trophy was very well deserved. I think I guess part of this is just for me. It's like. I'm a bit worried about the fact that he is 36 years old, and if the wheels yes, came, if the wheels came off very quickly, we couldn't really be surprised considering the age and the mileage and the fact that he had injuries in the past. But um, for now, he is he's such a stud and he's so good. And I also think it's no coincidence that uh, TJ Brody had a nice bounce back year last year after promptly after uh, Dougie Hamilton left, and he was paired back up with Giordano. Yeah, and I, I find it funny. Like, I think some some of my favorite things to talk about with like people who love Mark Giordano, but like aren't like um, they're more like casual fans. Mm-hmm. Is first you tell them that he's barely over six feet, and then you tell them that he's thirty six years old, and both of them like people don't believe it because he's such an active player, and for being on the smaller side for a defenseman, not that six foot is small in the NHL, but for a defenseman, it is pretty small he's a a masher like he plays a very old school style but not in a way that hinders his ability to to move the puck or or generate offense he's just in your face gonna knock you on your butt kind of guy and uh, I, i just i really love him i love the way he plays the game he doesn't really have very many weaknesses he's just good everywhere yeah i think uh we're right there. He he deserves to be higher, but there's some concerns about that age, and so that's why he got bumped down a little bit. But um, man, he was he was so good last year, and, and the Flames are reliant on him to sort of be that good again this year if they're gonna um, have the type of year they had last year. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Carlson at one. I wonder. Do you think? Do you think people would be? surprised that we both have him at one do you think i mean i guess Uh, considering they've listened to us talk about him in the past they shouldn't be but maybe after last year i do feel like the perception was that he took a massive step back and and there's concerns about him and and with all the time he missed and how um you know clearly limited he looked in the postseason especially down the stretch there so i don't know like I, i i'm i don't have a good grasp on what the public perception of him and his abilities are at this point heading into the season I mean, there's definitely some talk about him falling off, but I, I think anybody who listens to the PDO cast probably knows we'd probably have Carlson number one. But like one of the things that I looked at uh, for Sportsnet early in the year here was uh, they wanted me to do like profiles of who's the best playmaker, best even strength shooter, and who uh, is the best like breakout defenseman. And I don't know if you were able to see it or if I sent it to you or not, but I labeled a few names yeah, on a, I like saw a. That. A, a scatter plot, and the extent to which Carlson 
uh, is on an island in terms of how often he clears the defensive zone is completely absurd. It, he, there's just all these people bunched into like different categories and then all the way at the other end of the graph having to do two or three extra labels or two or three extra quadrants kind of thing. There you have Carlson on his own. He's just such a big factor in everything, you know, and people rail on him defensively. And I understand that sometimes he can get caught. And uh, when he was injured, there was a time where he like couldn't pivot one way and he mm-hmm. got caught a few times and that stands out. But overall, his defensive impact remains unbelievable. Like last year in the playoffs, the uh, amount of high danger scoring chances the Sharks were giving up with him on the ice versus anybody else uh, on that defensive group, it was like half when Carlson was on the ice. Like, it was incredible mm-hmm. how good he was able to be despite being injured. I, I had the utmost respect for what he's able to do. And every time I think, well, you know, maybe people are right. I'll look at Carlson and figure out if there's something to people saying, like, oh, he's falling off, he's in decline. It doesn't matter what stat I pick. doesn't matter if, what zone it's in. doesn't matter what I'm trying to measure. Carlson's always in there at the top. He might be, he might not be the very top, but he's in the top five. He's just an incredible all tools player. Yeah. I think of his mobility, um, continues with age and also with all these injuries piling up. Like if he's not a hundred percent and his mobility is, um, decreased, he's going to be more prone to those, um, you know, highlight reels play, highlight reel plays against where someone skates around him or makes him look silly or he gets caught flat footed. But, um, even it, as he ages here, uh, why I'm okay with the uh, bet that the Sharks made with a contract to keep him, uh, beyond the fact that they you know, are trying to win a Stanley Cup now and they'll worry about it three or four years down the road, Like I think he's going to age fairly gracefully because he's A, such a smart player, but B, like his ability with the puck to make those smart plays that we were just railing on guys like Burns and, and Subban for not being able to make is so... Um, like uh, subtly prolific that I still have confidence that even if he can't, you know, skate like the wind, like he used to once upon a time, he'll still be so effective in transitioning the puck and getting it from point A to point B effectively and efficiently that I think he's going to be really, really good for a number of years. Now, you know, last year, despite missing the time, uh, he only played the 53 games and who knows how healthy he even was for a large chunk of those he was still like top 10 in pretty much every offensive metric if you prorate on a permanent basis. And with him on the ice, the Sharks had a 59.5% shot share and expected goal share. And they were like just like the best team in the league. And so, um, yeah, despite what it may have looked like towards the end there, his impacts when he was on the ice were just so profound that it's impossible to bump him anywhere beyond just the number one overall, number one overall guy on this list. Yeah. And like the point that I made at the end of the article when I was looking at breakouts was like, even if Carlson didn't score a point at five foot five on five this year, he'd still be a top ten defenseman mm-hmm. in the league. That that's how crazy good he is at everything else. And because he scores so prolifically and has for so long, people don't realize that. Yeah. He uh well people who listen to this podcast do realize that because uh, I think the I don't know how many years in a row this is now. I think we've done this four years and I think we've had Carlson number one on in all four seasons. So uh He's still the king at the position. Um, Andrew, we're going to we're gonna have to break this up into a, into two podcasts. We're at 75 minutes right now. All right. I think uh, like I'm, I'm getting a bit tired. I think our listeners are probably like already winding down a little bit. Um, this, this winger show, I think 
for both centers and defensemen, we've uh, we've kind of hinted that we were going to do the wingers. It's becoming like that uh, that sitcom bit where like a character gets mentioned but never actually appears on screen. We just keep like mentioning that we're going to rank the wingers, but we never actually do it. It's Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel. What? Uh, like, let's give let's give the listeners a little teaser then for uh, for the next episode. What? Uh, are there a, are there any sort of honorable mentions or guys you don't have in your top fifteen wingers that are like that people would be surprised by or, or the people would be like upset about? <laughs> I think maybe analytically inclined people would not be surprised, but the uh, casual fans would be surprised. I don't have Blake Wheeler on oh, there. Oh, he was my name. That's why I asked that question. I was going to Oh, I stole it. Yeah, nicely done. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so uh, so look forward to that. I'm really excited to do that with you. Um, plug some stuff before we get out of here. Where can people find you, and what are you working on these days? Yeah, so I'm going to have something up on Sportsnet on uh, Austin Matthews uh, in the next day or two here, and I'm going to have my weekly column back on Sportsnet as well. Truth by Numbers comes out every Friday, so look for that. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. This was a blast, and I look forward to uh, to maybe, maybe ranking the wingers with you at some point. <laughs> we'll get it to it one day. All right. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.